What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hello, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big old money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. And we have the founder, president, and CEO of the Fairfax Group and co-founder of Transparency International, also a former member of FIFA's Independent Governance Committee. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Michael Hirschman, <laughs> how are you, sir? Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. There's a lot of controversy over how exactly Qatar secured the 2022 World Cup, given that it is not the most natural or obvious uh, host for a an event like this. And there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that very few people actually see. I know that you are a corruption investigator by trade. Can you give us a quick summary of some of the lowlights, I don't want to say highlights, but lowlights when it comes to suspicious things and how Qatar has secured this World Cup gig. I'm happy to do that, but but let me begin by saying that um, we're beyond the controversies at this point. Uh, the, the fans that are attending the World Cup want to see their favorite teams. They want to see their star players. They want to see fairness on the on the pitch. Now, going back in time, I, I hear know, you. But fairness on the pitch, when there was not quite fairness in how this decision was made, is kind of a contrast, isn't it? Well, I'm about to get to that, and, okay. and I appreciate that question. Look. FIFA, uh, the leadership in FIFA created a culture of corruption that surrounded the awarding of World Cup contracts, whether they be host city contracts or media contracts, for years and years and years before this particular bid ever happened. It was the way of life at FIFA. That's why FIFA had to be reformed. That's why the leadership had to be changed. This is not about Qatar, nor was it about Russia, nor is it about U.S., Mexico, Canada, and how they won the World Cup. It was about how FIFA behaved in letting these contracts, in awarding these bids. And that has been reformed. Michael, I completely agree with you. Now is the time to look forward. But, you know, I'm getting reports and I'm seeing images here of, you know, shipping containers that have been retrofitted to serve as housing and accommodation for the nearly 60,000 soccer fans to view the uh, to view to view the World Cup. You know, I'm, I'm hearing about queues of one, two, three hours long to get a half a liter of Budweiser for 12 pounds. I mean, my question for you is. Did FIFA, you know, even though we've we've corrected, you know, the situation, you know, going forward, I mean, are we still about to feel the impact of something that I'm, at least, you know, some of the pictures I'm seeing equates to the fire festival in the Bahamas with Billy McFarland? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I hope that that's not uh, going to be true or isn't true. Um, look, there's no perfect place to hold a World Cup uh, if you're looking for perfection in a country, 
uh, you're going to have to look on a, on a different planet <laughs> because every country that has held the World Cup or will hold the World Cup has problems, including the next World Cup, U.S.-Mexico. We, could, we can talk right now about security issues. The fact of the matter is the, the, the Qataris are going to do the best they can to try to expedite not only travel to the World Cup, but shorten the lines. They have built a multi-billion dollar transportation system, trains, buses, uh, to get people to the World Cup. And let's not forget, this will be the first World Cup where it's all held around one city, where you don't have to get on a train or a plane or a long bus ride to get to see a game at a particular stadium. So the advantages, I think, outweigh the challenges. Let me get down to a basic point. I want a beer. (laughs) I want to go to the game, and I want a beer. Can I get a beer at the World Cup? You will not be able to get a beer in this stadium. You will be able to get a beer, a scotch, a rum, a pina colada, if you want, outside of the stadium grounds on a number of sites uh, that are available to fans or at restaurants and, and bars in, in the city, uh, particularly in the, in, in the hotels. What we would hope is that you don't have 30 beer, beers um, <laughs> and yeah. cause a ruckus because yeah. you guys, look, you all know that uh, soccer fans, football fans are emotional. They love their teams. Uh, they live and die by the sport. And we've seen instances of unconscionable behavior at football games overseas, not only World Cup, but, but Gold Cup and, and other competitions. That's what I hope will be avoided by limiting the intake of alcohol inside the stadiums. In other words, folks, Drink responsibly <laughs> if you're going to the game. Period. So, and don't. And there's a reason why in Philadelphia they grease the light poles after the celebration. <laughs> don't don't hop on a light pole, folks. Just take your time and enjoy the. Not event. a good idea, Michael. I want to go back to uh, something we discussed earlier. You mentioned how FIFA uh, is the root of the problem here. What's your reaction to former FIFA head Sepp Blatter saying that Qatar should not have been awarded the tournament, even though he was the one in charge when it occurred back in 2010? I mean, it's kind of, when I read the headline, I, I, I almost couldn't believe it. Well, you have to understand why he said that. First of all, let me begin by saying Sepp Blatter is the one who created, in large part, the culture of corruption within FIFA. But the reason he's saying that is he still believes if Qatar did not get the World Cup and it was awarded to USA, then USA prosecuting authorities would not have brought charges against FIFA and against uh, the members of FIFA. He doesn't understand the American system of justice. He thinks that the Justice Department would have turned a blind eye to the level of corruption within FIFA if the U.S. had been awarded the games. That's why he says it shouldn't have gone to Qatar. It has nothing to do with logistics. It has nothing to do with fairness. It has to do with the fact that he finally uh, was, was brought to justice in one way or another because of his, his suspension uh, from, from football. 
because of his conduct and the conduct of the members of his executive committee. So it's a CYA move. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So obviously your expertise in security, Michael, I mean, talk to us, what are the big security issues that pop out to you if you're a, a foreigner visiting Qatar right now to, to, to watch the World Cup? I mean, what should, what should visitors be mindful of? And just from a logistical standpoint, what are the big security uh, issues that, that come to mind? I, well, I appreciate that. So I, uh, I was the CEO of the International Center for Sports uh, Security in Doha, which is an advisory group to... Uh, the host committee uh, in Doha, the Supreme Committee, um, we're not seeing any international terrorist threats. Our largest concern is cybersecurity and crowd control. Now, having said that, when you're holding or hosting uh, any sporting event, whether it be a Super Bowl or World Series or a World Cup, uh, you've got to be continually alert 24-7. In this case, just about every country who's involved in the the World Cup has provided law enforcement and intelligence sources to a joint command and control center in Doha. And security is the number one priority. There are probably more cameras, for example, in, uh, in and around the stadium and the fan villages and the fan sites in Doha than they are in all of the city of London. And the city of London is well known for having a lot of, of cameras. Um, we have helped train at ICSS a number of foreign security officers that will be deployed during the World Cup. And uh, not only train them, from a, a security and safety standpoint, but from the standpoint of being culturally attuned and ambassadors to the crowds that are coming. Because you, you have people coming from well over 100 countries with different cultures, different beliefs, different behaviors. So it's a, it's a challenge, but given that, that Qatar is such a small country and we're dealing with sites so close together, uh, it makes it a little bit easier to secure uh, a, an event like this than one where you're having to deal with multiple cities or, frankly, multiple countries. Right, like the 2026 tourney, right, where the U.S., Mexico, and Canada are each going to be hosting. I mean, that must be a logistical nightmare. That is going to be a security challenge, no <laughs> question about it. Forget about the, the visitors. Let's talk about the players and their safety, right? I mean, what's interesting to me is you're hearing these reports. I mean, obviously we know, um, you know, uh, Cutter is not a big fan of of uh, rights for LGBTQ. Um, and are we at all concerned for Harry Kane, for England, for some of the players who are using this stage as a way to, you know, kind of uh, express their views? I don't think so. I, look, the, the good news is that sports can have such a positive impact on change. And we have seen that in, in, in Qatar. We have seen them uh, institute new rules 
governing uh, the use of migrant workers and, and, and helping improve the environment for foreign workers in Qatar. We have seen a lot of good positive changes, and that is, uh, I think, attributable to sports. And I, I always urge sports players, teams, federations, confederations, whatever uh, the entity is, to speak out for democracy, to speak out for human rights, to speak out for civil liberties and press freedoms, because sports can make a change. Now, Qatar has made it abundantly clear that they don't care what race you are, they don't care what religion you are, they don't care what your uh, your uh, uh, sexual uh, um, orientation orientation is. You're all welcome. And they're going to protect the rights of everyone who comes to the World Cup. And this is, this is a sea change in outlook in a country like Qatar. Now, look, it's not only Qatar that has this culture. It's many other countries in the, in, in the Middle East. Sure. Uh, it's the Saudis. It's the Emiratis. It's the Kuwaitis. It's the, uh, the Omanis. They're all going to be being be paying very close attention to the changes in Qatar. And I think that's going to lead to a much more progressive environment throughout the Middle East. I I want to get into some of your background, and this is for the youngins out there who may not know all of the stuff that you have done in your past. You served on the senior staff as an investigator for the Senate Watergate Committee. And... I, I, I want, if you can, and help an old newsie, take, can you take me back to that time and what it was like during that time when you were going through the Watergate investigation? It was scary. Uh, I was a deputy chief investigator for the Senate Watergate Committee. I had had some years of experience, not too many years, but a number of years of experience previous to that in high-level corruption investigations. When I first got to Washington, though, I, I really was asking myself at the very beginning, are we really doing what's right for the country? We're going after the, the president and his closest associates. What is it going to do to the country? After about five or six weeks, of looking at evidence and facts that were building up. I had no doubt that we were doing the right thing because above all, the rule of law was threatened. We were dealing with a group, a group, of, a group of individuals, uh, the Ehrlichmans, the Haldemans, and uh, the president himself that thought they were above the law. And this may resonate, by the way, in terms of in terms of a in terms of a more recent president, I remember seeing those on TV, and I remember the John Dean moment, where it, quite frankly, all of a sudden he realizes that there are tapes out there, and John Dean is like, for the for the love of God, get the tapes. It's like, and that changed the whole thing, the whole complexion of Watergate. It was a simple question that was asked to uh, Butterfield um, 
And the response, thankfully, the response was an honest response because we had wondered why why so many people had good recollections of some of the things that happened. And Butterfield was the one who said, well, everything is recorded in the old office. And that happened on a Friday. Yep. And we had to keep that very, very quiet until the hearing is on Monday. Uh, but it, it indeed was not only an eye-opener, but it, it changed the game in terms of our investigation. I apologize, everybody, but I, I'm an old newsie, and uh, j- just the you background of what I couldn't. It was like it, you're talking to a man who has so much to offer in terms of information and, and knowledge, and I just I had to. Oh, hear yeah, it. It's okay, you can apologize. That's fine, Mike. <laughs> you know, Michael. But, I, but, but you're, you have to understand, you're also speaking to a sports nut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. <laughs> Michael Hirschman. Founder, president, CEO of the Fairfax Group and co-founder of Transparency International. And he has so much to offer uh, about soccer and FIFA, especially with the World Cup. Michael Hirschman, thank you so much, sir, for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Well, I appreciate it. And and, uh, let me uh, end this by saying, go USA. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here. I heard that. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. And by the way, you can catch our podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And by the way, you can download this show wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.